0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About, presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. As always, I'm talking sports with my older brother, Chris. I'm sorry to do it to y'all, but we're talking NBA playoffs again. I love it. I'm so into NBA playoffs right now. Uh, Chris, which game do you want to start with?
1: Let's start with those Cavs because... Last podcast, I had disrespected the Hawks a lot, took a lot of flack for that on Facebook, and now I'm looking pretty good with that 3-0 lead. But hey, at the same time, full disclosure, I didn't think that other series would be as one-sided as it's been, yeah. so it's been kind of a one-sided, definitely one of the weakest conference finals that I can remember, and it's kind of surprising because I really thought that that Golden State and Houston won would be a lot better but we'll get to that in a minute call us homers but you you guys all know by now that we're pretty big cleveland fans so we're both pretty pumped for the fact that the Cavs are up 3-0 with (laughs) a chance to close it out and i will be there for game four live so hopefully i'll get to see a nice little trophy ceremony but what are your thoughts from this series man i mean there's just so much to talk about atlanta just looks overwhelmed in every phase of the game
0: yeah absolutely um Well, first off, I want to say, even though we're homers, I think there's a lot more to talk about in this series than in that other series. I mean, the Warriors are just just putting on the hurt on the Rockets. It's a little embarrassing. But this series is intriguing and interesting. I think, you know, last podcast I said Tristan Thompson was just going to destroy on the boards. That definitely came true. The Hawks' model proved to be less successful in the playoffs than than they had hoped. I mean, they came into the to game 1 with a healthy starting 5 and I was texting you, you know, through the week like that starting 5 is amazingly efficient together even though they've dipped a little bit into the postseason. They're still really good together. They just they they crumbled under the pressure and now with the injuries to Carroll Corver's out for the rest of the playoffs. I mean, they're they're literally falling apart before our eyes. That's one part of it. The other part is LeBron James is just not letting his team lose. No matter who goes down, he is just on a mission to win as many basketball games as he can. And he's just able to because he is really, he's that good.
1: No, and I agree with you. I think it's more Cleveland winning it than Atlanta crumbling. I, I think Atlanta is overmatched. In many ways. First off, the front line of the Cleveland Cavaliers, as you mentioned, is giving them enormous problems because Atlanta's frontline is starting on two power forwards. I mean, Al Horford is a center who is not really a true bang-it-up rim-protecting center. He is better suited as a power forward. Paul Nilsap is a power forward and a small forward body, which means you know he's a good versatile offensive weapon who didn't show up the first two games. He finally had a solid game in game three. But yep. he was asked to guard LeBron James, and LeBron James just blew by him every single time because they had to switch Carroll onto J.R. Smith in Game 1 because J.R. Smith was torching him. And that's the other problem, too. The Hawks are missing Thablos F. Felosha sorely. Iman Shumpert and J.R. Smith are torching them on the perimeter, even without Kyrie Irving. I mean, let, let's just talk about that. The Cavs are not at full strength. They are missing Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, and they are putting a hurt on the Hawks. Which is a point I want to get to. The Cleveland Cavaliers bench has been just completely disrespected the entire playoffs. All throughout Boston, the Boston series, I had to hear about how the Cavs didn't have a bench. That they had the 27th best bench in the NBA. Well, when you measure it by points scored, that might be true. But when you have guys like... Love, Irving, James, and J.R. Smith in your starting lineup. You don't need a bench that can score. You need a bench that can bring defense. And that's what Delvadova, Eman Shumpert, and formerly Tristan Thompson, who led the league in offensive rebounds, do. Yeah. And James Jones. Let's also give James Jones some props. He has been big this whole playoffs. He was supposed to be the mismatch Chicago was going to exploit, and they didn't. Atlanta has not been able to exploit him, but we said that earlier that Atlanta didn't have the personnel to. It'll be interesting to see how much the Western Conference, a.k.a. Golden State, will take advantage of James Jones if he can still hold his own then. But the Cavaliers bench has stepped up in a huge way. And we'll talk more about Delvadova later, but Delvadova has just been fantastic all playoffs long. you got to give credit where credit is due. I think the Cavs are winning this series I was never sold on the Hawks. This goes back to our early podcast in February. I still contend if John Wall was fully healthy, they would have been dispatched in the second round and spared this embarrassment. But at the end of the day, the Hawks don't have the go-to guy. A lot of people compared the Hawks to the Spurs, and they play like the Spurs, minus all the superstars. A better comparison would be the Detroit Pistons of 2004 because that team didn't have a legitimate superstar, but it still had a defensive player of the year, which means they still had at least one... Really elite player who could change the game. The Atlanta Hawks don't have that. The closest thing they have is Jeff Teague. And Jeff Teague is just not the kind of guy you want as your number one option. I think he's a fine number two, a great number three. If they got another guy on this Atlanta team, like say for instance Mark Gasol, move Horford to the power forward, Millsap off the bench with Jeff Teague running the point. That's a really scary team. They're one, They they need their number one guy, and if they can get that, then this team will be a lot scarier. But as presently constructed, they're just not good enough, they're, and that's the bottom line.
0: Yeah, I think they'll. You know, if they bring the same team into the regular season next year, they'll still win a lot of games. But when playoff time comes and the post gets tighter defense gets ratched up a couple levels and the superstars take over they get left in the dust I I think you're exactly right all five of those guys are either are physically under-equipped in some aspect of the game Damari Carroll actually I think is the most physically dominant player in that starting five and he was their best player in the playoffs until he he got that knee sprain in in game one and once he went down I, I knew it was over in that moment if Without Damari Carroll, there's not a single guy that can protect the perimeter. And and like you said, they have to guard J.R. Smith, Iman Schumper, and LeBron James on the perimeter. Without without Damari Carroll, nobody can can draw that matchup, and the, they're, they're paying for it now.
1: No, certainly. And I think the Hawks benefited greatly from the sort of chaotic offseason in the Eastern Conference. You know, the traditional superpowers in Miami – and Indiana really took a hit, or at least the traditional superpowers of the last couple years took a hit. Chicago was still adjusting to Derrick Rose. The Wizards were a team on the rise that was trying to repeat in their second year, and they finally got things together after they started off slow and injured. The Bulls started off slow and injured. The Heat were snake-bit by injuries. The Pacers were snake-bit by injuries. And the Hawks... Really, their strongest point was from about December through the All-Star break, and that's when the East was in such a state of flux. And I think give them credit for the run they had. I'm not saying it wasn't impressive, but I'm saying it came in the East in a weak East, in an East that in a weak East that was all that was going through some turmoil. So I think the Hawks are more of a they had the makeup of a 50-win team that really overachieved. Give them all the credit in the world for winning 60 games, for having a fine season, for getting to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in forever. But at the same time, they are still a big piece away from duplicating this next year. If we're going to do an early preseason projections, I don't think they're a top-four team in the East if Miami's healthy, if Indiana's healthy, Washington's on the rise, and Cleveland. Cleveland's not going anywhere. I I don't think they're a top-four team in the East if they don't make a big move this offseason.
0: That's a really early prediction. I could I could see them finishing in the top four. I think that they're just they are that in sync in the regular season. It's just I I said this again that come playoff time things change and they're not they get left behind by by everybody else that has a superstar. But let's talk about uh the the biggest superstar on the court in this series, our man Matthew Vadova. What, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean. he he had a coming out party to the national audience in that game six against the bulls but i mean we've known about him for two years now what he brings i think he's mini anderson in my mind i mean i think you just guys just hate playing against him guys get really annoyed by him because they see him they see that he lacks some physical gifts that normal basketball players have and they but he beats them in a lot of ways and he's really i I think he's in the head of all the hawks and that's one way of putting it like what what do you think of his series so far
1: well first we'll talk about the 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 two significant plays that have been getting a lot of attention but i think he's played fantastic first off he's a very scrappy defender he's a solid ball handler Oddly enough, he could shoot the three well, but not a jump shot well. That that, that still befuddles me. He's good from yeah. three, but you take three steps in and he's terrible. I don't understand that. I guess but, it's
0: muscle memory.
1: I, I have no idea what it is, though. But the guy, he just is a scrappy solid backup point guard and you said he had a coming out party for the national audience well that kind of was for the local audience too because people in Cleveland wanted him gone in January people wanted an upgrade at the backup point guard people didn't think he was a competent backup I was in his corner I thought he was I, I had said for a while you can do a lot worse than Delvadova as your backup point guard and I think he's really starting to shine in this postseason especially filling in for Kyrie Irving as a starter. He's done a, a very good job against Jeff T. Jeff T. is still going to get his numbers. He's still going to fill the stat sheet. But Delvadova is making it very tough on him. Teague, to his credit, is hitting some great shots. I mean, there are times where I'm like, you know what? You just can't guard against that. Yep. And so credit to Jeff Teague for doing that. But Delvadova is certainly fearless, too, because every time they switch, he switches to a big man. He has no problem switching to a big man and just scruffing it up. And you know, I love it. He's just the kind of guy that really can win over a fan base because those kind of guys who 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 come in and just give all effort are, are going to endear themselves to the city real quickly.
0: Yeah, he's the guy that you love if he's on your team, but you absolutely hate if he's on any other. Te- if he's playing against you, um, all right. So what he he has drawn two ejections in the past two playoff series, most notably last night against Al Horford for he fell into him Horford gave him the elbow they reviewed it they kicked Horford out and sandwiched between those two ejections the, the first one being against Taj Gibson he rolled on Kyle Corver's ankle and caused him to to be injured for the rest of the playoffs so um Horford had some interesting comments I think after the game the the main quote being that Vadova has a track record like what do you think it, does he have or is he a dirty player what what is his is he gaining a reputation as a dirty player what are your thoughts about that
1: Well I certainly think the Bulls and Hawks think he's a dirty player yeah, yeah. but that's obviously fans. their opinion I have a big problem with this because I think that the national narrative is is trying to paint him that way and I really think if you look at the replays all three of them the Gibson one the Corver one the Al Horford one the worst by far is the Taj Gibson one. I mean, on the Taj Gibson replay, he clearly locks his leg. There's no doubt about that.
0: Which is which is completely harmless and silly. Like
1: <laughs> right. it's harmless and silly and deserving of a technical. I mean, it certainly is deserving of a technical, and it should have been called a technical on the court. And the NBA was right to, you know, po- after the game, upgrade it to a technical. That that's certainly yeah. within the a realm of a technical foul. I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is Chicago Bulls fans trying to defend their guy, kicking a defenseless player on the floor. Taj Gibson should have been ejected from that game, because he yanks his leg back, fine, he was breaking it free, but then he pushes it forward and kicks a player on the floor. A flagrant two foul is not only just, it's excessive and unnecessary contact. That's the key. They don't have to beat a guy up to get a flagrant two. If you have unnecessary contact and a player who is defenseless on the floor getting kicked is excessive and unnecessary it was a warranted ejection I'm sorry flagrant two foul to Taj Gibson the reaction obviously yes I understand if he's agitated that he gets scissors kicked but the ejection was certainly warranted Kyle Korver play is silly anyone who thinks that's a dirty play just doesn't know basketball I am sorry it was an unfortunate play the guy dove for the ball I, and I believe Court, they were both diving for the ball. It's yeah. a basketball play. He made a basketball play, and it's unfortunate. Nobody ever wants to see that happen. But you know what? I mean, you cannot think that Delvaux is a dirty player for for going after the basketball. I'm sorry, yeah. anyone who thinks that that is a dirty play or a premeditated play is wrong. Well, just flat he, out wrong. He
0: dove for the ball, and I think it would have been bad if like he dove for the ball. 10 feet away and didn't even come close, but he got to the ball. He got both hands on the ball. I think the big thing is you see his body swinging into Kyle Corver, but in defense of that, I mean, you're diving head first. Your natural instinct is to protect your body, so I see guys dive like that all the time. They dive for the ball and then they turn to to guard their their head fe- their he- their head and their face. Like right, I you're supposed know. to roll over your shoulder when
1: you dive like that to avoid hitting your head and, and or messing something yeah. up. And you're supposed and to happened, roll over your shoulder.
0: And he happened to sit right on top of Kyle Corver's ankle. I don't see the malicious. vadova is. is too unathletic to to premeditate a move like that <laughs> there's absolutely no. No, he has no body control how could he i mean you could be mad at him for playing with reckless abandon but i mean that's that's a good thing that's what you want on your team on, on your defense so i don't I, that's not playing dirty just no, you certainly boring.
1: can't be mad at him for playing like that. I, 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 anyone who thinks the Kyle Corbett play is dirty is just flat-out wrong. You're 100% wrong. Watch, watch the replay again. If you think he's dirty, watch that replay again. There's nothing dirty about that play. Now, let's get to the Al Horford play because this one really ticks me off. People yeah. are painting Dova Dova as the bad guy here. If you watch that replay, Al Horford is the one yanking him to the ground. Not Del Vidova. Delvadova did not dive into him. El Horford yanks his shoulder into the ground when he's trying to box out. Hmm, where have we seen this before? Oh, wait, Kelly O'Linick on Kevin Love. It reminded me of that play a little bit. Now he didn't lock his arm or anything. There wasn't tango, but he yanked him, he pulls him down to the ground and then throws an elbow at his neck unintentionally. And then Al Horford had the nerve to grip at his knee. He grips at his knee to try to paint Delvadova as the bad guy. Al Horford should be suspended for Game 4. I'm sorry, this this was a premeditated retaliation for Kyle Korver. Al Horford was trying to take Delvadova out of that game. And the NBA needs to come down on this guy who has a history in 2008. Took out TJ Ford with a just cold clock. Ford's going in for a layup. When he was with the Toronto Raptors. And Al Horford just hits him in the face. They had to take Ford out on a stretcher. And I think Ford would ended up being out for two months. So Al Horford has a history. He yanks Delvadova to the ground, tries to go at his neck with an elbow, and then pretends like Delvadova was the bad guy? No. There is no room in the NBA for a play like that. Al Horford, sh- Al Horford should be suspended for Game 4. It was a dirty play on Al Horford, not Matthew Delvadova. I'm sorry. It was it, it, it disgusts me. Because that's why Kevin Love isn't playing right now. Because the NBA, the, the Boston Series referees let that game Let that that series escalate. Boston was getting more physical and more physical and more physical each and every game, pushing the limit, and then finally, pop, goes the arm. They took it too far. The refs didn't get control until it was too late. The NBA needs to come down. This is a desperate team down 3-0 who clearly cannot, is not handling the losing very well. They need to come down hard and say, there's no room for this. You cannot go after a team that's going to beat you. I'm worried that the Hawks... If they don't suspend Al Horford, are going to be emboldened and think that they can mess up an NBA Finals trip with some shenanigans? They need to come down hard. Suspend Al Horford for Game Four. It's garbage.
0: Well, those that that's very harsh, and I I understand where that's coming from. I don't see the suspension happening. I think it would have came down already if if it had. Um, but I I mean I I agree with you. I th- I Horford, I have a different problem, and that's that. Horford not only said that he has a track record, which we've just debunked that theory. Um, clearly, I don't think Delavadova has a as a track record. He also said that, in a more calm manner afterwards, that Vadova needs to grow up and understand that, like the NBA is is a band of brothers that that come together. And I I just get the sense that nobody likes or respects Matthew Delavadova on the court in the locker. Not not the Cavs locker room, but just players in the NBA and all the former NBA players that are associated with TNT last night and during this series, they don't really, they don't like him, and I think it's just because Matthew Dellavedova is is an outsider at this point. He's from Australia. He was undrafted. He has had to work for everything to to get to this point. He wasn't even supposed to be starting, and he's doing these really aggressive hustling plays and he's just not part of the circle yet and he's alienating a lot of people and I I just don't think that that is fair to do to a player just because he's out hustling you it's really bothering me that because Al Horford is I mean Al Horford besides those two plays that we've talked about he's won like citizenship awards and like the good guy awards and all that he's a well-liked player and i think that he and a lot of these nba players and former nba players just don't respect matthew della vadova right now and they don't appreciate his basketball abilities and they're kind of taking that out on him i don't think that that is fair to do to a player that's having success right now
1: no it's certainly not fair but the two in particular is kenny smith and Reggie Miller. To be fair, Chris Webber actually defended Del Vidova on the broadcast. Charles Barkley also did too, and Shaq also as well on on the post game show. So it's really just those two that were going after him pretty hard. And Al Horford didn't mix his words. He called Matthew Delvidova dirty. He said dirty. I, I I can't I can't remember if it was a question about the play or a question about the player, but he said the word dirty in one of his responses. So. Al Horford didn't mix his words after the game. I mean, he, he went after Del Badova pretty harshly with his comments. And you know what? He just got ejected. I, I can understand why he'd say something like that. I don't know if he actually means it. But, he you know, the moment after the game, that's fine. I thought Jeff Teague handled his post-game interview with a lot of class. He didn't make any excuses for anything. He said he's not a referee. So, I thought Jeff Teague handled it very well in his post-game interview. Yeah. But... Getting back to the Al Horford thing, you know, fine, Citizenship Award, that's great. J.R. Smith just got suspended two games for his history. Al Horford has a history. He cold-clocked a guy, took him out for two months when he was going up for a layup. History should play into this. He yanked Delva Dover to the ground, went after him to the neck, probably attended to the face with an elbow. It was a malicious attempt at retaliation, and then he tried to cover it up. He should be suspended for Game Four. Bottom line, end of story. That play was dirty. I'm not saying Al Horford is dirty, and I apologize if I if I slipped up and called him a dirty player earlier, but that play was dirty. He should be suspended. Period.
0: Yeah, I I, I don't think he should be. I, I think getting ejected is enough. Getting the flagrant too, and I don't I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. But I I understand what where that's coming from. That elbow sucked too, man. It was more like a hip to the face. <laughs> he didn't even like land anywhere near, near his head. He like got his side on Delavadova's head. It, it, it's funny to watch in, in slow motion.
1: No, it was funny to watch, but seriously, if he had hit that on target, would have been out. He was coming after. Yeah, yeah, well,
0: yeah. I mean, fortunately, they were playing too fast and too out of control to actually get a precise hit in but you know in 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 replay it's a, it's just kind of comical that you know that's the ma- that's the main takeaway that we have from last night not not LeBron's triple double or you know the overtime in, it, in and of itself it's this this foul and and a player's reputation
1: well it's not just that it's because Al Horford didn't play for the whole second half and it, when you lose by 3 points in overtime that's a big loss. So certainly Al Horford could have made a difference in this game, and that was a very impactful play. But when you're Al Horford, you can't complain about someone going at your knees when you're the one who put him there. I mean, you shove him down, he falls at your knees. Right. You're the one who put yourself in that situation. I'm, I'm sorry, man. You, look, you I watched the play multiple times. Everything about it said Al Horford saw an opportunity to try to get even, and he took advantage of it. There's no room in that. That's not a basketball play. He should be suspended.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely not a basketball play, and they need to show the other replay that the one that you're talking about with him, where you see both of his hands on DelaVidova's arm. They don't show that one enough of him actually pulling him. They show the the one from their backs that makes him look a little bit more innocent.
1: But yeah, man. I mean, look. Certainly, DelaVidova. is it is funny that the little Australian off the bench, the backup point guard that even Cleveland fans wanted to run out of here is. Dominating the headlines when LeBron James dominated the game. But going over to a team that certainly didn't dominate anything in Game 3, the Houston Rockets. And let me just say, I have a lot more respect for the Atlanta Hawks because of what happened on Saturday in Houston. You know, the Atlanta Hawks didn't look good in the first two games, but they came into Cleveland and they played their hearts out, man. They faced a ton of adversity, they lost, They were down corver. Carroll obviously hurt, Horford ejected, and they gave the Cavs one heck of a game. Probably the toughest game, one of the toughest, I mean you can't say it was tougher than the two games the Cavs lost, but probably their toughest win of the postseason was that overtime game. And I, I have a lot of respect for Atlanta, because when you look at the other side, Houston, Going into Golden State, oh, they could have won both those games in Golden State, and then they come home and you lose by thirty-five points on your home floor. If I'm a Houston Rockets fan, I'm disgusted to cheer for that team.
0: Yeah, no, certainly. Um, I was in in complete shock when I saw that final score. I didn't, I wasn't able to to watch that game three live, but I, I was just shocked because coming home especially after the way they lost that game too, the way that James Harden, he had a triple-double that night. Um, the, the way he played, I thought for sure that was going to be another tight game. And for them to just lay a dud, I, the Rockets are the most puzzling team I've seen in a while and probably the most puzzling successful team I've seen in a long time. I said in the last podcast that they really don't have their identity yet, and I, I still think that's true. They just don't know where to go when they're they're faced when they're faced with adversity when they're when they're faced with a challenge and they they seem to crumble upon themselves thankfully last series they played another team that likes to crumble upon themselves this warriors team is is too well oiled in this moment to, to give them any any sign of weakness like we saw with the clippers like the the rockets are done they're gonna i'm 100 percent positive that they're gonna lose tonight so uh Hold me to that. I, there's, there's just no way the Rockets are gonna come out with anything close that can, that can beat the Warriors at this moment. It's just, it's baffling to me, completely baffling.
1: I think the Rockets, oddly enough, can still get one. But to answer your question,
0: I mean, they can, they, they can do it. <laughs> I'm sure they can <laughs> do it, but I, it's not gonna happen. Uh,
1: but to answer your question. It's a, it, this is a question that has to be answered. Do James Harden and Dwight Howard have what it takes mentally or whatever, heart or whatever, to win a championship? They have the skill, but do they have that gear, that do-whatever-it-takes gear, that scrap-for-it gear that LeBron James seems to have, that... Matthew Delvadova actually seems to have, minus, you know, he obviously doesn't have the talent of those two guys, but he certainly <laughs> wants it. Tristan Thompson seems to have it. Again, doesn't have the talent of those two guys. But do you think, Dwight, do you, can you win a championship with a Dwight, Har- Dwight Howard-James Harden combination?
0: I, I, I don't think so. I, but I will counter with saying the Rockets, the way they're constructed it's all about numbers with them and if the numbers line up if they get enough of their fouls drawn in a seven game series then yes they will statistically march their way into the finals but the NBA playoffs seem to transcend numbers and there are moments in each game where players make defy logic and take games upon themselves and seem to bend the will of the game towards them and I don't think either of those guys or those guys together particularly can do that and I think Harden can I just don't think Dwight Howard is a good influence or a good teammate to have playing second fiddle to a guy like James Harden I think James Harden needs a guy like Russell Westbrook you know somebody that's just gonna you know have will will die before they before they accept defeat like right, i think just, just
1: psycho about winning
0: yeah i think that's what he needs and Jane harden when he's on he's on and he's a killer and he can he can certainly if he has four hot games which sometimes during this playoff series we've seen or playoff during these playoffs we've seen him him do this he can he can lead the team to victory but in those moments of weakness and he's not he doesn't have his game. There's no way you can you can be like, "All right, Dwight, like take us take us there." I I just absolutely don't see it. And I I don't really see that in Harden. I th- he needs a different a different companion to get to the playoffs or to the finals, excuse me.
1: My problem with James Harden is when you look at the truly truly great players, there are very few exceptions, but the truly truly great ones, they can be your best offensive player And they, at worst, can be your second best defensive player. You can't say that about James Harden. James Harden does not play defense. He is not a good defender. And I have a problem with that.
0: At the very least, they can be a defensive playmaker. I don't think James Harden is that either.
1: Right. But but you look at LeBron James. He can take over a game. I mean, in overtime, they put him on Jeff Teague. They put LeBron James on Jeff Teague because they said, "Okay, it's go time. You're guarding this guy. He's their best player. Take him. You know, they don't. They obviously don't do that the whole game because LeBron James, with his size, needs to match up with other guys. But when in crunch time, hey, when the, when the Cavs played the Rockets back in February, LeBron James was guarding James Harden. Yep. And LeBron James can guard a team's best player, no problem, unless maybe if it's a center. James Harden can't do that. James Harden, you hide James Harden on defense. And I have a problem with guys like that. I just think that if you want to be a champion, defense is all about effort. And if you're not willing to put in the effort on defense, then are you really willing to put in the effort needed to win a championship? And I'm not saying James Harden doesn't put in effort. Every NBA player puts in effort, especially when you get to this level of the tournament. But there's there's a notch just... It's like in Spinal Tap. The amplifier doesn't go to 10 in the playoffs. It goes to 11. Can you go to 11? And I don't think James Harden can go to 11. I think that's what separates him from just being a really great player of his time to being a transcendent player of his time. And when you compare him to a guy like LeBron James, and that's, obvious, that's what everyone's trying to chase right now. He's the gold standard. It's no comparison. And I think Steph Curry has that gear too because Steph Curry is just lights out and i don't know I, I just i just whatever it is the rockets need that mentality it's missing because i i just have a problem with teams that don't play defense because defense in basketball is all about effort
0: yep no that, that's very well said i mean defense is the reason the cleveland cavaliers are, are surviving their injuries and it's 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 seems to be the reason that that's doing the Hawks in, and it's certainly the reason that's doing the Rockets in. So defense the in the playoffs the Hawks, is... Go ahead.
1: I don't think that that's doing them in. I just think that the Cavs have more talent. I think the effort's there. I just think the Cavs have more talent.
0: Yeah, I also, I also think that they, in a lot of positions, are just physically overmatched.
1: Oh, certainly. I'm, right. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, their defense is being overmatched, But they're trying to play defense. I mean, they are active out there. I mean, why can't James Harden be an elite defender? He's got the athletic ability. To be fair to Dwight Howard, he is the best defensive player on the Rockets. Yep. But nobody else on the Rockets plays defense. I mean, nobody. They're one of the worst defensive units in basketball. I don't understand. I just don't understand how you expect to win a championship when you just let half of the game you try to outscore people all the time well you're gonna have to stop someone at some point Golden State can score two as they've shown the last three games I'm really glad I didn't pick the Rockets I, I was I was going back and forth on that series <laughs> I, I'm serious I was going back and forth on that series I thought it was gonna be a great series but
0: I, I thought it was gonna be entertaining as well but I I was pretty confident in the Warriors pulling it out
1: yeah I mean yeah no, you know I, I had Warriors in seven I really I thought Houston was gonna I thought Houston was going to give them a series, but they just didn't. I mean, you lose thirty five on your home floor. Yeah, that's just terrible. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, I mean, to to be fair though, if the ball dropped a couple different ways those first two games, it could be a completely different series. But that's true. That's true. That that being said, they lost three in a row. So yeah,
1: they did. But my problem is, okay, fine, they could have won the first two games. If they had lost the third game by three, I wouldn't be as hard on them. Or even five or seven. Thirty-five points at home, yeah. and you want to win a championship? Go home. Just don't play game four. I'm sorry. You, can, if you lose by thirty-five, the other team should get two two wins. I'm sorry. They should just be up 4-0 right now, and the Warriors should get the title. It's it's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, let, let's, uh, let's move on from the best teams in the NBA and talk about the worst teams in the NBA. They got some good news uh, last week that with the NBA draft lottery.
1: Yeah, they did, and there really weren't too many surprises. I don't think many teams jumped into that top three. I think the Lakers leaped from four to two, but other than yeah. that, everything held to serve. Well, sorry, New York Knicks. I have no sympathy for the
0: Knicks. Uh, I'm but chuckling at them.
1: <laughs> but... Hey, man, all you know, Minnesota getting the number one pick, the Lakers, two, and the Sixers, three. The 76ers didn't get lucky in the sense that they could have gotten the Heat and the Laker pick, but they didn't. Now, that Laker pick, they could still get next year or whatever. We'll we'll worry about the restrictions in the 2016 draft. We'll focus on this right now. Um, Obviously, the two big prizes in the draft are Jaleel Okafor and Carl Anthony Towns, and obviously everyone knows that the Timberwolves have a rising star in Andrew Wiggins. So, Bob, who would you pair with Andrew Wiggins if you had that number one pick?
0: Uh, I think as, regardless of if Wiggins is on the team, re- I, I'm taking Okafor over Towns just because you he, ha- he brings something as a 19-year-old center that nobody else has brought to the nba draft before and that's an arsenal of offensive post moves uh that's something that takes years upon years to develop for a big man but he already has some of the best moves i've seen in college um with with skills like that a center can actually become integrated into your offense and doesn't just become a pick and roll log jam and i i i I would take oka for and that i would teach him defense i would teach him good team defense i think I think it's Okafor, but I, I mean, it's hard to argue against Carl anthony Towns. I could understand why they take him, but I would go Okafor. What about you? I would go
1: Okafor as well, for all the reasons you just said. He's one of the most polished post players coming out of college that I can remember. And I think you put him in there with Andrew Wiggins, and you got one heck of a combination or potential for one, barring any unfortunate setbacks. You can teach things like defense and, you know, those things can be taught to guys who have the natural, you know, physical gifts right? and are already polished offensively. Now, obviously, Jaleel Okafor is going to have to adjust to the NBA. It's hard for centers to come right in and be dominant because it is a different world out there. He's going to be seeing more guys in the 6'11", 7' range than he did in college and you know there aren't a lot of really true centers in the college game so he's gonna have to adjust a little bit but there's no doubt in my mind I, well no I can't really say that there you know <laughs> you never really know but I I feel very good about him coming in and being a very strong player and I think it'll help him going to a team that already has a guy like Andrew Wiggins because he's not going to be expected to be the savior
0: yeah I, th- I think that does go a long way but I mean, there is a burden that comes with the number one overall pick. I mean, Anthony Bennett taking number one overall. We already had Kyrie. He definitely felt that burden. He's also an awful player, but,
1: <laughs> but to be I, fair, has he really been given a fair chance yet? He has not played a lot of minutes. Now, maybe yeah. there's a reason he hasn't, but I don't know. I lost yeah. track of him when we traded him. When the yeah, I looked
0: traded. up his I looked up his stats like mid season, and I was it was not good. But I I forget wh- what kind of minutes he got there, but Whenever I saw the T-Wolves playing, it, he was not on the court, so that's not good.
1: No, he was not a regular in their rotation. I know that.
0: Yeah. So what do you think the, the Sixers and Knicks are going to do?
1: Well, actually, I think the 76ers are not in a bad shape because if it's one team that could afford to pick third, it's the 76ers. Think about yeah. this. The top two players are post players. Well, they have Nerlens Noel and Joel Embiid. So by getting the third pick, they're actually spared of the – gut-wrenching decision to have to pass on one of those two guys and take the guy that I think they'd really want, which would be the guy from Iowa State, D'Angelo Russell. I think he's yep. a great fit on that team with Noel and Embiid coming back healthy. And man, why do they trade Michael Carter Williams now? Because that's actually a pretty good team. If you add a two guard to the, to the William, with Williams at the point, I'm still mad about that trade for them. I think they would have a really good team next year, a rising team next year with those two post players, Williams, and D'Angelo Russell. That could that would have been a nice combination.
0: Yeah, I, I'm less sold on on Michael Carter Williams, but I agree with you, Russell, and getting Embiid back. That's essentially two top three picks coming back at the same time. Uh, they they finally could have the makings of a of a competitive team. We'll see.
1: Oh, we'll see. But in the East, it's a lot easier to rise up that standings ladder. A lot easier.
0: Very true. Um, I couldn't help but laugh at the Knicks though sitting at fourth. I mean, you miss out on the two centers, then you miss out on probably the best playmaker in the draft in Russell. It's fourth is really no man's land because I think there's that's the line of demarcation between bona fide top. 10 talent and just the rest of the draft and that line shifts sometimes sometimes it's just two guys sometimes it's five guys but i think for the fourth pick is anyone's guess and i don't think that's where the new york knicks want to be to having to to do some actual bona fide scouting and figuring out who is the fourth best player in the draft
1: i'm telling you man Willie cully stein i like that guy i don't know if he's the fourth best player in the draft but If New York, Orlando, or Sacramento picked him, that would be a good pick. And just imagine Cully Stein playing next to DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento. That could be nice. So I think Willie Cully Stein's a good player. That Emmanuel Moudet, I can't say his name, has some intrigue. Could be one of the better guards in the draft behind Russell. So the Knicks have options. I don't feel too bad for them. This is a a pretty solid draft as far as depth is concerned. I think Frank Kaminsky's going to fall too far, too. I like him. So you know, they got some options. They got some options. I, I, you know, I I do, I always laugh because I'm not a big New York fan, but I think this year the fourth pick is a little bit better than a standard draft.
0: Yeah, it's definitely deeper, but in terms of bona fide star, starter power, I, I think that's where the drop-off hits and there are going to be a lot of busts coming after that fourth pick. So
1: I would agree. I actually am not a hundred percent sold on D'Angelo Russell. I I think he, I feel good about him, but I'm I do think there's a bit of a drop from two to three. And I agree, the line is after the third pick. I think it gets a little murky after that. But I think the Knicks could get a good player with four. I think I think that they could get. There's enough solid talent in this draft that they can get a good player. Oh, they, they may have they, to tank next season too, but
0: hey, <laughs> yep. Yeah, they certainly could get a good player. It's just going to have to do their homework, I guess.
1: Haha. <laughs> ha. No <laughs> sympathy for the next. Anyway, we'll switch gears here for a bit. Uh, in case you hadn't heard, Ryan Tannehill is a very happy man. $96 million. That's what the Miami Dolphins are about to be paying him. There are only two people in the NFL happier than Ryan Tannehill. Their names are Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson because now – they are licking their chops at their negotiation sessions. Bob, how much do you think those two guys are going to get paid? First off, what do you think of Ryan's deal, and then how much do you think those guys are going to get paid?
0: Well, you know, I, I read the number and I'm a little shocked, but honestly, that's what you have to do to. That's what you have to pay a quarterback. I mean, Tannehill has shown growth in all three of his years. He's shown that he's certainly capable of being a starting quarterback and you have you gotta pay the guy if you want him on the team. You don't want you just invested all this money in the offseason on, on Sue and, and all these other guys. The last thing you need is a is a hole at quarterback. You have to shore that up and and they did it. I'm a little concerned with the forty five million dollar guarantee because if you'll notice Andy Dalton also signed a six year, ninety six million dollar contract last year
1: andy dalton's was 115 million
0: uh with with all the bonuses that come with it yeah it's it's a base of 96 i believe i'm i'm looking at it there are a lot of there are a lot of roster bonuses and future workout bonuses and things i'm I'm, you're right it it goes up to 115 but only 17 million dollars of that is guaranteed compared to 45 million dollars for Tannehill. So, that, I mean, that's a significant bigger investment, but I think you still got to do it. Now, I actually
1: think that contract could be a steal because Tannehill has shown growth each of his three years. They've been knocking on the door of the playoffs the last two years the Dolphins have. So, I think locking Tannehill for less than the $100 million mark is a steal given what the quarterback market is. Look at Jay Cutler's $126 million deal. Joe Flacco, $120.6 We mentioned Andy Dalton. I think it's a it's a solid move I mean obviously it's a lot of money but that's what you gotta pay to a quarterback who has the potential of being a franchise QB
0: definitely I, I definitely agree with you now for Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson man I saw a tweet that said like Luck is gonna own the team if T- Tannehill's getting paid that but to be honest I don't think either of these guys can make that much more I, I certainly think they're gonna get past 100 million dollars and closer to Joe Flacco money but to, to go anywhere further than that, I don't think it, it can work in the cap, to be honest. I, I, I certainly think that Luck is going to get a huge, long, drawn-out deal that's going to have an average salary close to $20 million. I see the same for Russell Wilson. But to, go, to think that they could push it anywhere further would be suicidal for, for their franchises. I I, don't, I can't imagine that they have the cap space to make it work.
1: Well, it depends on what they project new revenue will push the cap upwards. If they feel that more TV, because we're seeing that in the NBA, that TV money is about to kill, you know, skyrocket the cap. If these guys can project that there will be more space, I could see those deals escalating maybe to the hundred in luck's case i could see him getting 130 million the seahawks have said they want to make russell wilson the highest paid quarterback in the league which would mean more than 126 million i could see both of those deals getting into the 130 million dollar mark the only way they don't is if the quarterbacks themselves pull a tom brady or even aaron Rodgers to a lesser extent and say hey i want to give you some flexibility i'll only take a twenty million dollar average salary only quote-unquote yeah and give the team some cap flexibility. I could see those guys having that kind of mentality because they're so big and they're going to get so many endorsements over the next few years that they may be willing to leave some money on the table to keep the team around them elite because they know that their worth is Super Bowls when it comes to legacy talk, when it comes to anything with quarterbacks. It all starts with Super Bowls. So I could see them doing what Tom Brady's done. Look at Tom Brady's cap hit: is 14 million, 15 million, and 16 million each of the next three years. So, that's obviously a really good deal for New England. I don't necessarily think they're going to do that because there are other factors. Obviously, the players' union doesn't want that and things like that. But I, I certainly think that you're going to get Joe Flacco money at the 120 million mark. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if they uh, flirted with 130 million.
0: Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, th- these are just numbers that they throw out there. What really matters is that signing bonus that they get in the beginning, because I, I would be surprised if any of these quarterbacks, I mean, look at Tom Brady. How many times has he restructured his deal? I, it's, it's numbers to make them feel good for them to get tons of cash in, in the beginning to get most of that number down. In the later years and then they'll reneg- renegotiate and and add in a bonus and bring that cap number down in the future years so um yeah the, the numbers that they're gonna roll out for luck and wilson will certainly wow me but at the same time they're a little superficial in the fact that i don't think they'll see the entirety of those deals
1: and you could pay me one percent of those deals and i'd be happy <laughs> yeah me too so let's just put it this way i'm not going to be crying for Andrew Luck, if he only gets 120 million and not 130. So yep. he's gonna get paid. And he's gonna get a lot more in endorsements, cause you know. So no everyone's gonna be happy in a few months, trust me. But speaking of Tom Brady, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard that the Flake Gate continues. Robert Kraft has backed off though. He has said that he will no longer contest the NFL's punishments or ruling and whatnot. Bob, do you think that something's going on here that Robert Kraft and Roger Goodell put on a big show and doing a little backdoor dealing to get that Tom Brady suspension reduced?
0: Certainly. I, I can't imagine they didn't have a conversation that said, hey, do you, would you want to pay a million dollars or do you want Tom Brady to, to to play two games instead of four? You know, I, I absolutely think that they had a conversation and even if they didn't, that's that's definitely what, what, what is going on here. I mean, Kraft can write a check for a million dollars all every single day, and it doesn't matter. I mean, the draft pick I would be concerned about, but, uh, yeah, Tom Brady's suspension is, is the main concern. And by dropping this appeal, n- now all the focus is on that Brady suspension, and that's the only thing that can be reduced. So, yeah, certainly it's a move to get that suspension reduced.
1: I think Bob Craft played it very well. He made a huge stink publicly. And then he, quote-unquote, by doing that, looks a little more humbling. But everyone's seeing through it. I'm not saying people aren't seeing through it. Humbling by not challenging the efforts to try to give a good faith and maybe gel up some good karma for the Tom Brady suspension. I do think Tom Brady's suspension will be reduced to either two or three games. I think he'll still have to serve some of it. But... We'll see. That's going to be an interesting process because I think if a neutral arbitrator rules on it, I don't know if he'd be suspended. But I don't know. I don't know if it's going to go that far. I think if he gets a reduction, he might just accept it and move on. But yeah, it's clear Robert Kraft sees Tom Brady's window closing. I mean, Father Tom's going to catch Brady either this year or next year. This could be. I mean, this could be the last two years they have at really contending for a Super Bowl. And if Tom Brady sits down for four games and you start off one and three, that obviously hurts your chances because even if you bounce back to make the playoffs, you might not be a very high seed. So certainly, yeah, I mean, Tom Brady playing is the ultimate priority because, as you said, Tom Brady, I mean, Robert Kraft can write a check for a million dollars. Like, I can drop a George Washington, man. So no worries.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Again, the Deflate Gate isn't going anywhere. It wouldn't be a what-are-you-talking-about podcast if we didn't. At least talk about it for a minute so apologies if you're if you're sick and tired of it but it's news so
1: we stuck it at the end for a reason guys yeah
0: yeah definitely
1: <laughs> uh everett Golston, though man transferring to florida state the notre dame quarterback you think that's going to help him that could be a solid move for them
0: i i certainly think so I, I, he brings more experience to the quarterback position than anyone else at fsu obviously Jameis winston's gone Everett Golson was a Heisman candidate six weeks into the NCAA season last year. Uh, His season and Notre Dame season just fell off the tracks once they, oddly enough, went into Florida State and lost that game. Um, Yeah, he's had a really strange career, a very bizarre career, leading Notre Dame to the championship, sitting out a year, the year he had last year, and now he's finishing his career at Florida State. very strange but i think like we saw with vernon adams like we've seen with kenny hill moving from texas a&m to tcu quarterback is a very fluid position in the college football ranks and it's i think it's only going to get worse i mean golson's golson took a whole like recruiting trek to the south he visited lots of sec schools visited fsu It was very well publicized. It's going to be interesting for the future and what these quarterbacks that kind of lose their jobs, what happens to them.
1: Yeah, this has been going on for a while, this whole transfer thing. But Russell Wilson, when he went from NC State to Wisconsin, really put it on the map because he had a huge impact at Wisconsin. He was like two Hail Marys away from playing for the national championship, and it really opened a lot of eyes. So it'll be interesting to see what the NCAA does, if anything, because the intent of the rule is to give kids a chance to pursue a graduate degree that might not be offered at the school, which I think is a legitimate educational intent. If they don't offer the program, you should be allowed to attend another school and not be punished for it. Well, these kids are abusing the rule and selecting a graduate program that isn't offered at their school so they can transfer. So I, I don't know what they can do, but I think that there should be a happy medium that or hopefully is a happy medium that can kind of close up the loophole a little bit because, hey, kudos to the kids for exploiting it. I have no problem with it because the NCAA, you know, they make a lot of money off of them and they don't yep. have a lot of power. So I'm, I actually don't have a problem with, with them having a little bit of power, but it is kind of a funny rule.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's funny. I'm on the fence with it because – especially with quarterback, there's, there's only room for one quarterback, one, one alpha quarterback. If you lose that job, I mean, you're stuck at this school. Either you, you go and sit out a year to go to another program. I I like the idea for these quarterbacks that they're able to seek a starting opportunity somewhere else when they, when they fall out with their, with the school that they pledge their allegiance to maybe at age 16. So I'm on the fence of it. I But it'll it'll be interesting for Golson to see what he does going from one high-profile team to to another.
1: My, My biggest thing is these coaches can change schools at the drop of a dime. And a lot of times they recruit these kids and make them promises, promise them the world, and then they leave the next day. And so I really don't have a big problem with them being able to switch schools. I just think the sort of why they're able to is kind of fishy in the sense in the whole graduate program thing. But yeah. I am kind of happy that they're exploiting the NCAA a little bit. I, it makes me a little happy that, that they can they can do something that's within the rule that gives them just a little bit of power.
0: Yeah, and also it does encourage a, an embattled player to get his degree.
1: Right, early graduation. If you red shirt and you put your your mind to the books, you can graduate in 4 years and, and still have a year of eligibility. So yeah, it does encourage you know, taking your classes seriously.
0: Yeah, so I guess I guess we're both for it. You know, I've, after we talked it through, I think I think we think of it as a positive thing.
1: I think there are more positives than negatives. Uh, I really do. I think that there are. I think there are more positives than negatives.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: Because at the end of the day, I mean, you got to come out with your degree. I mean, kids got a college degree now. So, all right, one last funny one. I mean, come on. What do you think of this? The general manager of the Marlins stepping down to be their manager, Dan Jennings
0: uh completely clueless about it um it, it's only fitting that they went on a huge skid once they announced that uh that the management change very bizarre i mean why they must have really not liked mike redmond if this was their second option to to replace him it, it's very strange to me and i don't get it it doesn't look good for the marlins it's not a good look
1: after 97 I have no sympathy for the Marlins, but this is a pretty strange move. And so, yeah, I I don't get it. I mean, they said there was nobody else out there. I don't necessarily believe that. I just think that they're maybe holding the seat for someone. Well, clearly, I don't think this guy's going to be the manager after this year. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if they can get someone solid. But it seems like they've gone through a lot of managers in the last couple of years. I mean, Ozzie Kim was their manager not too long ago. I, I just, the Marlins are kind of a, Train wreck, they have been for a while now.
0: I forget the number, but John Collar Stanton has already played for twice the amount of managers that Derek Jeter has. I think they've had seven managers in the last six years, something like that. And they, I absolutely know they're paying three managers right now to not manage them. So, yeah, they, I, I, manager is a very, I don't think it's that big of a position impactful position for a baseball team so i don't know why they're so invested in it but yeah that that organization's kind of a train wreck right now so it's kind of funny
1: it's ridiculous it sounds like the cleveland browns payroll for coaches
0: yeah or the cleveland Cavs.
1: (laughs) that's true too but anyway though man we've covered a lot of ground today a lot of nba talk a lot of nba draft talk a lot of basketball in general but the nba season is coming to a close soon We'll have a little bit of a break once these two series are completed here soon. But the NBA Finals are right around the corner. Should be a good one. We'll have a lot to talk about in June. And thank you guys for your continued support. Please follow us on Twitter, Sports. Please follow us on Instagram, Fenley, R-O-A-D Sports. Come to FenleyRoadsports.com. We'll be rolling off more content with our blogs. Bob had a great one about Kyle Korver. I encourage you to read it and it's hilarious, it's awesome, videos too, so definitely check that out. And we'll be back next week, as always, with more talk, NBA Finals, all that fun stuff, so thank you again for listening, and please come back for more.
0: All right, Chris, I'll talk to you soon.
1: All right, take it easy, man.